All right, let's pray and let's ask God to meet us as we open up his word. We love you, Father. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for forgiveness, for justification, for being born again, and that we can know you now through faith in Christ. And thank you for your word. What a gift. And Lord, I I plead with you that you would help me as I preach this passage, not an easy passage. And I pray that you'd give me wisdom, and I pray that you'd give me the right heart, and I pray that you'd give us ears to hear your word and hearts to say yes. So Lord, do a powerful work in us. We, We have lots of different needs here. We're not all in the same place spiritually. Would you take this passage and apply it in the exact way each of us individually needs today, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 3. And if you need a Bible, as we always say, we'd love to have you have one that you can look on with, so raise your hand and we'll bring one to you. And Hebrews 3 is on page 1002 in the Bibles that we're passing out. And while you're turning there, let me just give you some background for this passage. I believe the Bible teaches really clearly that if this morning you are trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and treasure, if you're trusting Jesus Christ this morning, then you can know certainly with 100% assurance that your sins have been forgiven, you will never face God's wrath and you will be in the new heavens and the new earth. If you're trusting Jesus Christ right now in your heart, then you can know certainly that that is your your destiny. And the reason you can know that for sure is because when God saves you, he starts a work in your heart which he will continue and not let anything stop. Satan won't be able to stop that work in your heart. Temptations won't be able to stop that work in your heart. Trials won't be able to stop that work in your heart. You won't even be able to stop that work in your heart. Because when he starts a good work, he will continue that work until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he will keep you trusting Jesus, fighting the fight of faith, not perfectly, not sinlessly, but persistently and progressively all the way through until glory. Which means that Once you receive salvation from God, you will never lose that salvation from God. Nobody moves from being saved one day to not being saved the next day. Once you have salvation, you will always have salvation. That's what the Bible teaches. But, sometimes people can draw wrong conclusions from that truth dangerously wrong conclusions. People can draw the conclusion that, well, if once I have salvation, then I always will have salvation. And the fact that 20 years ago I went forward at a meeting and prayed the prayer means I'm always going to have salvation, so it doesn't make any difference what's happening in my heart today. My heart's you know, not caring about Jesus, if I'm just pursuing sin blatantly, knowingly, if there's no passion in my heart for Jesus, no love in my heart for Jesus, that's okay because pastor said last Sunday morning that once you have salvation, you're always going to have salvation. So there's no problem with that. Some people can conclude wrongly and, and dangerously. Now when we read the letter to the Hebrews, we can see that some of 
the readers of this letter that the author knew that some of them had drawn that dangerous wrong conclusion. And we can see that especially in our passage we're going to look at this morning. Because here in the end of verse 6 and then all the way through to verse 11, he's correcting that wrong conclusion by helping them understand how they can tell that they are saved. How do you know you are saved? Look at what he says, last half of chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 6, last half of verse 6. He says, we are his house. Remember last week, we explained that God's house is a metaphor for being part of God's people, God's saved people. So we are God's house, God's saved people, if, Underline that word if. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Okay, so let's let's start with this first question. How can we know that we are God's house, that we are part of God's saved people? You can know that this morning. How? How can we know that we're part of God's saved people? Read the second half of verse 6 again. We are his house, we are part of God's saved people, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Now notice very carefully what that if is telling us. It's, it's telling us this is how you know you are God's house, right? We are God's house if we hold fast our hope. Underline that word are, that's an important word too. This is how we know we are God's house. It's not that by holding fast to our hope, we will then someday become saved people. It's that you can tell you are saved people because you're holding fast to your hope. It's like if I said to you, here's the analogy I thought of, you are alive if you are breathing. Okay, same kind of a sentence. All right, so just check. Okay, good. (laughs) I'm still alive. You don't breathe to become alive you know you are alive because you're breathing. You are alive if you are breathing. In the same way, you are part of God's saved people if you are holding fast to your hope. See how that works here? So what that means is the the most important way that you can know that you are saved and are part of God's people is because you are now holding fast to your hope. That's the most important way. The most important way is not by looking to something that happened in the past, as important as that may have been, as genuine as that may have been. Do you see from this verse that the way you know you are part of God's house is because you are holding fast to your hope? Does that make sense? Okay, so then, of course, the million-dollar question is, what does it mean to be holding fast to, to my confidence and my boasting in my hope? What does that mean? Let's talk about that. Three crucial words. There's the word hope, there's the word confidence, and there's the word boasting. Let me try to unpack each of these. The word hope. We're to hold fast to our hope. Now, the English word hope, most of the time, does not mean what the Bible word for hope means. The English word hope usually means something kind of wishful thinking. I hope so. Something that maybe isn't... Maybe, maybe it'll be there, maybe it won't be there, but I, I sure hope it is. That's not what the Bible word hope means at all. 
The Bible word hope refers to a rock-solid confidence that something in your future is there and it's going to be awesome. That's hope. It's there, certainly, and it's going to be amazing. So that, that's what the word hope means. And so what is our hope? What is it that we know is there and is going to be amazing? Two clues. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Remember, he talks about how we share in a heavenly calling, heavenly calling, future heaven. And then turn to Hebrews 13, verse 14. I've been memorizing this verse. It's been very helpful for me lately. Hebrews 13, 14. Just to stir up my hope in in, in the new heavens and the new, in the new earth. Look at what the author says. Hebrews 13, 14. He says, For here on earth we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. No lasting city here. San Jose is not lasting. Okay? Los Gatos is not lasting. Saratoga is not lasting. Not even Campbell is lasting. Okay, sorry, Campbell folks, okay? Here we have no lasting city. We are seeking the city that is to come. So when the author here is talking about hope, he's talking about heaven, the city that is to come, the new heavens and the new earth, where all of God's redeemed, men and women from every tribe, tongue, people and nation will be gathering the new heavens and the new earth, beholding the lamb who was slain, seeing God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ and worshiping him for his beauty, his majesty, his power, his goodness, his awesomeness, his holiness, his righteousness with ever increasing, never boring, always amazing joy forever. That's our hope. So that's that's what he's talking about here. That is the hope. Okay, now, we're to hold fast to our confidence in our hope. Now, that word confidence means that we know it's going to be there. There's just no doubt in our minds. And there's two ways God gives us evidence so we can know it's going to be there. One way is he's given us evidence in history. Okay, tangible history. 2,000 years ago, God came to earth flesh and blood man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And we have all the historical eyewitness evidence we need to know that Jesus Christ was fully God, as we see that he healed ten lepers one day. Remember that story? As we see that he raised Lazarus from the dead after being in the tomb for three days and starting to decompose. Come forth! And Jesus, as God, speaks that word and it happens and Lazarus comes forth. Ten lepers healed, Lazarus raised from the dead. We have all the eyewitness evidence we need to know that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins and rose from the dead. So we have all the eyewitness evidence that we need in history to know that everything Jesus taught about the new heavens and the new earth and our hope of being with him forever in ever-increasing joy is true. Because God came. See, touch, feel, read, it happens. That's one kind of evidence God gives us, evidence from history. second kind of evidence God gives us is is evidence in our own experience. Because when you're saved, you will have times as you pray and seek the Lord in the scriptures when he will pour his Holy Spirit out upon you and and he will give you a taste of what heaven's going to feel like. You'll feel his glory. 
you'll feel his love pouring into your heart. And those are like appetizers of the full banquet that's coming. God says, here, let me just, you need to taste now. Okay, here, just taste this. Okay, that there. Awesome. That's how it works. That's, that's what appetizers do, right? Oh, I want more. And so there will be times, it's not constant, but there will be times in our lives now when we are seeking the Lord and he will give us what Paul calls a, 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 um, an earnest, a down payment of our future inheritance by the Holy Spirit making Jesus glory, the Father's holiness real in a way that we feel. And so if this is the kind of joy heaven is going to mean, I want heaven more than anything else. That's what will happen. Okay, so that that gives us confidence in our hope. We know it's certain by historical evidence. We know it's awesome by the experiential evidence. And so because of that, then we hold fast to our boasting in our hope. I've got to explain this word boasting. In the Bible, the word boasting usually does not mean bragging. Okay, or it's not like we're supposed to be bragging. No, no, no. Boasting is a word that means, it's like when you delight in something, when you are rejoicing in something, when you're celebrating something, you're saying, this is wonderful! Hey, the hope of heaven! That's boasting in this. And what that word boasting shows is that we love this hope of the new heavens and the new earth where we will be face to face with Jesus Christ. We love that hope more than anything else. That's what this means. Boasting in our hope. So with that in mind... Read verse 6 again and and get the full weight of what the author is saying here. We are his house. Not we become his house, but we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Now the reason he mentions this is that some of his readers were not holding fast their confidence and their hope. That's why he wants to stress this. They let maybe the pull of money or the pull of fame or the pull of comforts, right? Pull of entertainment. It was all that kind of stuff. They've let other things pull them and make them forget about the new heavens and the new earth. Just let me think about it because they're, they're looking at these other things. They're being pulled in these other directions. For some of them, it may have been the the pain, the difficulty of battling sin made them wonder, is it really worth it? This heavens and new, new heavens and new earth thing? Or the, the, the suffering that believers go through, is, is it really worth it? And so they've let the pull of other things, the pain of persecution, the pain of battling sin, it's kind of clouded the whole picture, the new heavens and the new earth. So, so they were not holding fast to their confidence and their boasting in their hope. And not only were they not holding fast, they didn't think there's anything wrong with that. We're fine. We're saved. We're part of God's people. Surely we're part of God's people. We're okay. We're fine. And so what the author wants to do in, in these next verses then is to warn them of the danger that they're facing. He wants to warn them about this. So as I prayed over this passage, I know that that. God wants to warn, I would assume in a group this size, he wants to warn some of us because some of you may be responding just that exact same way. I mean, ask yourself this question. Are you letting money or fame or entertainment or comfort, are are you letting these things 
cloud, the new heavens, the new earth. So you're, just, you're not, not thinking about that anymore. It's, it's gotten really small in your picture. Instead of being big, it's gotten, it's gotten really small. And you let the, the pain of battling unbelief or the, the trials you're going through made you start to question whether the new heavens and the new earth is, is even worth it. And are you letting your hope diminish and shrink and be forgotten? Are you letting that happen and think it's okay? You know, because once saved, always saved. Are you, are you thinking that? Okay, if, if that describes your heart, then in great love, God has caused you to be here this morning to hear what the author of Hebrews says to his readers because God wants you to hear it for you too. That's why you're here. If you're feeling like, yikes, this is me. No, no, not not yikes. God loves you. That's why he had you to be here this morning. And so what the author wants to do in verses 7 through 11 is he wants to warn his readers and us of the dangers that they're in with their hearts in that condition. Verses 7 through 11, Hebrews chapter 3. Now in these verses, the author quotes from Psalm 95. And Psalm 95 is an interesting passage. You should read the whole psalm on your, on your own maybe this afternoon. But in this passage, God is urging his people not to be like Israel was when Israel was delivered from Egypt. Remember, Israel was slaves in Egypt. God delivered them. And here God says, don't be like the people of Israel were when they were delivered from Egypt. So look at verses 7 through 11. You can see this is a quote from Psalm 95. Here's what the psalmist says and what Hebrew, Hebrew, the author of Hebrews quotes for his readers and for us. Verse 7. Therefore, it's a crucial word. That, I mean, get, get the flow. We are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in, in our hope. Therefore, because that's how we know we're his house. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. And God speaks again, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is a shocking passage about a shocking incident in the Old Testament. So here's the background. God had powerfully delivered the people of Israel from Egypt. Powerfully delivered them with signs and wonders and miracles. I mean, the story is just amazing. God had powerfully delivered the nation of Israel from Egypt. And God had protected them from, remember, the angel of death with the Passover. So that their firstborn weren't killed. And then as they left Egypt and faced the Red Sea, God powerfully delivered the nation of Israel by parting the Red Sea so they could go across. And then after they'd gone across and Pharaoh's armies were coming after them through the same passageway, God had the Red Sea come back so that all of Pharaoh's armies were killed. And so the point is powerful, miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle that God did for the people of Israel. But after all these things that God did for Israel, Delivering signs and wonders, miracles, miracles, miracles. After all those amazing things that God had done for them, God swore in his wrath, you will not enter my rest. Why? It's because of what was happening in their hearts. Verse 8 says, 
They'd allowed their hearts to grow hard against God. And they'd rebel. They'd move into rebellion against God. Verse 8. Verse 9 says they'd put God to the test. Continuing in unbelief. Continuing in sin. Seeing how far they could push God before he finally started to judge them. Tested him. Verse 10. They always go astray in in their hearts. They were straying from God. That's what was happening in the book of Exodus. So see, even though God had done all these wonderful things to Israel, amazing miracles to deliver them, lavish mercy to deliver them, amazing things God had done for the people of Israel, God still swore in his wrath, they will not enter my rest. They will not enter the promised land. And so the author of Hebrews takes Psalm 95 and he wants us to understand what this means for us. And what he's saying is, if you allow your heart to grow hard towards God, if you allow yourself to move into rebellion against God, if you test God's mercy by continuing in known sin, if you go astray from God, if if you let your heart go there and you do nothing about it, you don't care, you don't get on your face and plead with him, help me. You don't ask brothers and sisters to, to pray for you. You don't do battle. If you just say, I don't care, that's for my heart, then the author of Hebrews wants us to understand that God will respond the same way they did to Israel. He will swear in his wrath, you will not enter his rest. You will not enter the promised land. You will not enter the new heavens and the new earth. That's what the author wants us to understand this morning. So, so there's the warning. Okay? Now, why wouldn't you enter God's rest? Really crucial point. It's not because you lost your salvation. But see, if the work that God starts continues, not perfectly, but progressively, then that means the way you know that the work God started was because it is progressing and continuing in your heart. Right? Which either means that you are holding fast to your hope, Or you are saying, help me hold fast to my hope. You're not saying, I don't give a rip that I'm not hoping in God anymore. That would be, if that statement were to continue, that would raise great questions as to whether God's ever started the work in your heart at the very beginning. So it's not that you've lost your salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. The good work God starts, he continues. But again, the way you know you are is because you're seeing it continuing. And if there's no continuing, and if you don't care that there's no continuing, then it raises doubts as to whatever happens. So it's not because you lose your salvation. It's because it would show, if, it, if that persisted, if that rebellion persisted, it would show that you've never been saved. Okay, so here's the warning. End of verse 6. We are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So if we're not holding fast to our hope, if we're letting go of our hope because of you know, being pulled in these other different directions, if, we, if we've let go of that hope and looking for something else to, to, to hold fast to, to be hope to us, something else, if that's what's happening and we're, and we're not doing anything about it, we're not fighting, we're not repenting, we're not confessing, we're not crying out to God, we're not asking our brothers and sisters to pray for us, then we might not be God's people. And if we continue in this state without doing anything, we could risk eternity. This is a weighty passage. 
weighty, weighty passage. But understand, the reason God is having you here this morning to hear this passage is because he loves you. And if your heart is far from God this morning and you haven't cared about that, God has you hearing this because he loves you. Because he wants you to care. He's saying to you, care. Care about this. Care about this. So one last question then from this passage. What can we do? What can we do if, if we feel like, I have, you know, frankly, I have no interest in heaven. New heavens and new earth. It's not high on my, on my you know, bucket list. Okay? Got a lot of other things I'm interested in, but, but not the new heavens and the new earth. I mean, frankly, what I'm excited about is like the 49ers are playing this afternoon. Okay, they're moving up in the ranks, or, you know, going to hit Nordstrom's tomorrow. I'm excited about that, you know, or looking forward to Armadillo Willie's for lunch today. Those are things that I'm thinking about right now, you know, right? These are the things that we struggle with. I struggle with those things. You struggle with those things. What do we do? Let me give you three encouragements from God's Word. First, understand that God can change your heart. Here's why I love this verse. I'm going to have you read in a moment. Look, if I go ahead and turn there, Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. This is so encouraging. Because when, when rebellion rises up in our hearts, when we are not holding fast to our hope, when we're more excited about, you know, a comfortable retirement than we are about the new heavens and the new earth, when those things are happening, it feels like that can never change. It feels like... <laughs> It's just not going to change. This is what I'm feeling right now. This isn't going to change. And what you need to understand is that God has the power to change your hearts. If he didn't, we would all be undone. Luke 18, I think it is. I can't think of the exact verse, but what is impossible for people is possible for God. And so look at what he says in Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. So encouraging. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. So so God raised Jesus from the dead. That's power, right? Corpses don't become alive. Corpses don't change. Hearts that are hard with rebellion don't feel like they could ever change. But God is the God of peace who raised Jesus from the dead. So then may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will. And then get this next line. Working in us. Working in us. He, God, who raised Jesus from the dead by his power, works in us that which is pleasing in his sight. What would be pleasing in his sight would be to have you holding fast to your hope. Right? That's what would be pleasing. How is that going to happen in this heart? God will. Work in us that which is pleasing in his sight. God will do it. God will do it. Who will do it? God will do it. God will work. So it doesn't make any difference how lukewarm you might feel or how heaven, new heavens and new earth, just doesn't even register in the Richter scale of your passions. Just like, maybe, like nothing, just flat lines. Nothing, just nothing. God can change your heart and he will change your heart. No one needs to think, I can't change. You can change because God promises to change you. This is the wonderful news. God will change you. 
Second truth. Here's what you do then. You come to Jesus as you are, confessing your sin, pleading for his help. Hebrews 4.16, turn back to that one. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. I would really encourage you to memorize this verse. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. <laughs> What's the throne? It's this big, big throne. Okay, big. We're talking about God as the king. It's a big throne. Beautiful, big throne. And what is this throne of? It's a throne of grace. Okay, which means that you can come. I can come. As you are, you can come. You can come saying, I'm not feeling anything about the new heavens and the new earth and beholding you with all the redeemed forever. I'm I'm into everything else. My heart's just running after everything else. I'm not feeling that at all. But it's a throne of grace. You can come. And when you come to the throne of grace, you come that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Take some time this afternoon, tonight, and get some time where you're just all alone. You and the throne of grace and Jesus on that throne. So you're there with Jesus all alone, just you and him. And come to him as you are. Say, here's what's going on. Uh, Rebellion in my heart. I'm going astray. I'm not holding fast to the hope. My hope is in other things. This is the truth of my heart. Forgive me for my sin, Jesus, through the cross. And help me. And when you do that, if you come humbly to the throne of grace, as you are, don't don't try to change your heart before you come. Okay, that is a path of despair. I mean, I've I've tried that, and I can't change my own heart, okay? But if I'll come to him as I am, it's a throne of grace, he promises, you will receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He will change your heart. You will experience the Holy Spirit coming and transforming you and giving you a a taste of heaven again. Oh, I remember that. Yes. Oh, it's been a long time. I'm sorry. More. Help me to love you more. Help me to see. Here we have no lasting city. I want to seek the city that is to come. And he will stir that. Now, I'm moving ahead to the third point, which is to pray over God's word until you feel Jesus changing your heart. I guarantee you, you will. You will feel him changing your heart in time, but he will be faithful. No one draws near to the throne of grace in this way and opens up the scriptures and prays and asks God to come. No one will do that without having the Holy Spirit change your hearts. He will honor his promises. Romans 10, 17, I'll just quote it to you. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. He said, I don't have any faith. I'm not feeling any faith at all. Or maybe just like a little tiny bit. Help. Where does faith come from? Hearing. Hearing comes from the word of Christ. So you open up the scriptures, and you pray over like the throne of grace passage. Help me to see this, feel this. You pray over, here we do not have a lasting city. We're seeking the city which is to come. You pray over Revelation 21, 1 through 4. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death, no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. Everything's made new. So you pull out Revelation 21 through 4, and you pray over that. Help me to see this. Help me to feel this. And the Holy Spirit will come. Faith comes through hearing. You will see it. You'll believe it. You will feel it. You'll be holding fast to your hope, and you will know you are God's house. See how that works? Now, some of you are here this morning because it's been a long time since you could say you've held to God's You've held fast to the confidence and to your boasting in your hope. And God has you here because he loves you this morning and he wants you to deal with it today. So let's all stand. I want us to pray and ask God to work. Father, I ask for your power to come right now. I praise you that you love us enough to give us your word. I praise you that you love us to to bring us to hear this warning. And I praise you that every heart here in this room right now can know that you will change their heart as they come to you, as, as they are, confessing, asking for help, looking to your word, looking to Jesus, trusting, trusting Jesus Christ. There's not a heart here that won't be helped as they, as we do that. And so I pray for your power to come right now. Bring your power, Lord, upon us. I pray that no one would miss this warning. Please, Lord, don't let anyone make an excuse and miss this warning. And I pray that you would pour out your grace in a mighty way right now. Please come for the glory of your name. I pray that people in here, in this room, Lord, would take time this afternoon just to put everything else aside and to come to you, knowing that you will work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. You will enable us to hold fast in your hope. That we can take time today to come to you, Jesus, as we are and seek you, confess before you, repent before you, ask you for help and receive your work. So I pray for your power to come. I pray that you would be changing hearts. I pray that you would be stirring hope and in the joy of knowing we're God's people. I'm part of God's house. I'm holding fast to my hope. So I pray that you would do that, Father, for the glory of your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.